what's flesh is flesh, what's spirit is spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, meaning that even though we have the incredible treasure of Christ within us, the incredible gift of God residing within us, that it's still within vessels that are limited and flawed and humanity that is weak and broken. It is for that reason that I've been in this series, Set Free From Me, and I'll conclude this today. And I've been talking about how to be set free from things that, that make you self-destruct because these vessels have built into them weaknesses that just blow up on us. And we have all these phrases we've coined and we've used so many times either referring to ourselves or others. I don't know why I did that. I just blew the whole thing up, just messed it up. I don't know why I did that. Or he pulled the rug out from underneath his own feet. Or he shot himself in his own foot. We need to understand that the Word of God is not just about your experience from birth to conversion and then it stops there. No. The Word of God is about carrying you from birth to your conversion into discipleship to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Even though you carry this treasure in an earthen vessel, the Word of God gives you information. That's why I love the Word. That will help free you from self-destructive behavior. And so there's something in this book that will turn your life around if you are having problems with self-destructive tendencies. It's kind of like the general on the base that one day he noticed one of his soldiers was behaving oddly. And the soldier would pick up any piece of paper he found and he would, he would look at it, read it, frown, throw it down and say, that's not it. And the general noticed the next day this guy was doing the same thing and the next. And this went on for some time until the general arranged to have the soldier tested to see if there was anything going on psychologically with him that needed to be Fixed, And the psychologist concluded that the soldier was imbalanced emotionally and mentally and wrote out his discharge from the U.S. Army. And when he handed it to the soldier, the soldier picked it up and read it and smiled and said, that's it. That's the piece of paper I was looking for. There is something in God's word that, if you will allow me to say it, that's it. It fits your situation. There's a group called Skillet. Anybody ever heard of them? Skillet. Let me just see. Because in the first service, I was, oh, a number of you have. They are a Christian alternative group. Now, I'm going to tell you that some of you, particularly if you're above middle age, will probably not think this is your favorite Christian musical group after you see this song up on the screen. But they are a Christian alternative rock music group. I'll play a little of the song and then read a few of the lyrics. They are hugely successful, by the way. Do you feel like a monster? <laughs> Have any metal fans? The sea side of man. 
That's okay, then leave it. You, you, okay, leave it right there. I'll, I'll read the words to you. That's probably more than some of you could tolerate anyway. Listen to the words. The secret side of me I never let you see. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. So stay away from me. The beast is ugly. I feel the rage and I just can't hold it. It's scratching on the walls, in the closet, in the halls. It comes awake and I can't control it. Hiding under the bed, in my body, in my head. Why won't somebody come and save me from this? Make it end. I feel it deep within. It's just beneath the skin. I must confess that I feel like a monster. I hate what I've become. The nightmare's just begun. I must confess that I feel like a monster. I feel like a monster I feel like a monster. My secret side I keep hid under lock and key. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. Because if I let him out, he'll tear me up and break me down. Why won't somebody come and save me from this naked end? You might would think just by listening to that, that that was just a heavy metal group or an alternative rock group. But as I said, they're all born-again Christians. And when they interviewed and asked where they got the idea for this particular song, Monster, they said from Romans chapter 7. And that's where Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that's the apostle Paul talking, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Wow. The reason these lyrics sound so much like that, as I said, is because when they wrote this song, they said they actually got it from the Bible. Have you ever felt like there was something inside scratching to get out that would hurt you? I'll tell you what I have learned after 47 years in ministry. Trust me when I tell you there are very many believers who suffer from self-condemnation that are sitting in this room right now. And they're held back and will not do what God's called them to do, both young and old, because of their personal inward struggles. And I want to help set you free, so I'm going to continue this series and finish this part of it 
today. And I want to talk to you about how to stop being, how to not be your own worst enemy for the rest of your life. In Romans chapter 7 and 8, I gave you eight weapons of self-destruction that the enemy finds within us. He spends a lifetime studying you and me to figure out which one of these or which ones of these apply to us individually. And that's where he targets and focuses his attack. The first is shame. The second is self-destructive thoughts. These are things that blow up your own life. The third is compulsions. That's that thing that the song talked about that Paul said. It's when you do stuff you don't want to do and you know you shouldn't do, but you end up doing it anyway. Then there's fear. Fear immobilizes many people into a state of spiritual paralysis where they never move forward. Fear that God sees them, that God's going to judge them. Fear of making a mistake. Fear of so many things. Then there's despair, which is another form of depression. And then there's resentment, which is a form of unforgiveness. Then there's pride. And finally, low self-esteem. I've already talked about the first two, shame and self-destructive thoughts in this series. So I'm going to go quickly through the remaining six. Let me begin. How do you get free from weaknesses and compulsions? Because I want you to know that if you're struggling, you're not alone. If you have a private side of your life that you don't want anybody to see like that song says, Welcome to the crowd, because Paul said he dealt with that himself. Things that we struggle with that we don't want others to find out that we struggle with. And you know what? In this life, you get under stress, pressure builds up, there's the problems of making ends meet, finding enough finances to keep your family going. Christmas is a very stressful season, and the season following Christmas is extremely stressful. People spend money they don't have at Christmas time when the bills start coming in after Christmas. I'm telling you, talk about stress. You know what? There's a funny thing that happens when people are under stress. They will often find a way to self-medicate to take the pressure off. And when I say self-medicate, don't think that just means alcohol or drugs. It can mean so many things. It can mean watching something on the internet you shouldn't be watching. A relationship you shouldn't get into. It can mean so many things where you look for the thrill of the moment to help release some of the load you're carrying. Notwithstanding the fact that when you give in, there is a momentary, as it were, Release from the pressure, the thrill is there, but after a while you become like B.B. King, the thrill is gone. And you know what you do? You have to deal with the consequences of having made a bad decision. And what that does is it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. You do something and then you feel good for just a little while, and then afterward you're so remorseful and you feel so bad about it that it creates a downward spiral and it increases the stress. And you know what you do? Go do something else for another quick hit. And then that brings more guilt and stress. And then you go do, and the next thing you know, your life is torn apart. 
weaknesses and compulsions. We live in a world right now where the world is saying, whatever you want to do, do it. Don't let anybody judge you. It started way back in the 60s and you know, when people began to throw out morality. I'm going to make a statement here that I don't want you to misunderstand because this is not in support of a particular candidate, either one of them. The last election was not even about politics. It was about morality. It really was. What you have is a situation where if the church does not stand for its moral values... We are living in a day when you will be ridiculed for anything that this book teaches that you embrace. Amen. Live by this book, somebody's going to laugh at you because out there they're saying, don't judge me, I want to do whatever I want to do, and don't you condemn me or penalize me for it. And they don't understand. I'm not about, and the church is not, about penalizing people for their lifestyle. That's not what we're into. Jesus looked at the woman taken in the act of adultery and said, go and sin no more. She, and he asked her, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. The church doesn't exist to condemn people. The church exists to help people understand that when you make bad choices, there are consequences connected to those choices. And when the world is telling you it's okay, do what you want to do, the reason that is so horribly and morally wrong is because God knows the moment you start disregarding his law, his law is not in place to control your life. It's there to help you avoid washing out your life, blowing your life up. And so people can say, it's okay, do what you want to do, it doesn't matter, abortion in the ninth month. I want, I want this church to understand this. I will be against that until the day I die. I don't mean to make any enemies, but you've got to know it's wrong in the eyes of God. A woman that's carrying a baby, get in a fight, somebody hit her in the stomach, they go up for murder, she loses that baby. And yet she can take the life of that child because she's had a fight with her husband? That is not right. You say, you shouldn't talk like that. I should talk like that. This is the Bible. I've got to talk like that. On the other hand, I'll love every person that has ever listened to that lie and made the mistake of losing a child that way. I'll love you through it. I'm not going to condemn you. But I'm not going to stand back and let the people that are in control these days tell you that it's okay when it's not okay. You understand what I'm talking about? Is that too plain? Okay, you pray for me. Preach, Pastor. You're doing a great job. Amen. I am. I don't even need an amen. I can do it by myself. How do you get free from weaknesses and compulsions? It's not to say that they're all of a sudden okay. It's for you to remember that you're a spirit-filled believer and you have the power to resist temptation. Listen to Romans 8. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. you got to say that with me. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. Say it again. I am. I want you to say it one more time. I am not. But these urges I have are natural. Cyanide's natural. Strychnine's natural. Just because it's natural don't mean it won't hurt you. 
Gravity is natural. But step off the lip of the Grand Canyon and see if natural things can hurt you or not. Amen. It's not to call things that are wrong right. That's not the solution. It's to understand that when you get saved, what used to control you doesn't control you anymore. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. This is, this is what God wants you to know. Beloved, we can't go the way of the world. They don't have Christ within them. They don't belong to Him. But you have Christ within you. They cannot control themselves. I've got a word for you. You are not a slave to compulsions if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Say that. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Look at what it says in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you. I need somebody to say, free at last. Free at last. Free from this body of sin. When Jesus came inside and took up residence in my heart, I received a power that I did not have. And here is what all of this teaching, that you can do whatever you want anytime you want to do it, is going to lead to. There was a a study that was conducted, an experiment by Dr. Walter Mischel in the 1960s. He was a psychologist and professor at Stanford University. I think he's still living. It's called the marshmallow experiment. Gave the kids a marshmallow, said if you don't eat it for 15 minutes, you'll get a second one and you'll have two. Most kids could not resist the temptation and they ate it. Those who did resist the temptation... This is what is amazing. They have followed those kids until they became adults. It just so turns out that one of the most accurate predictors of success in life is whether you can say no to quick gratification. If you have to be one of those that eats the marshmallow right now, it is a foregone conclusion that you will never be as successful in life as those that can resist instant gratification. The problem with the teaching of the current society in which we live is they're saying, do whatever you want to do. But what they're actually doing is teaching against some of the very things that are necessary for you to become successful. The kids that didn't eat the marshmallow scored higher on SAT scores. They went to better universities. They got better jobs. They were more successful in their chosen careers. They were more, there was a larger percentage of them that started successful businesses. And those that couldn't resist the temptation to eat the marshmallow, always throughout the course of life, were at the bottom of the stack. The Bible is not trying to control your life and make you jump through hoops just to please some egomaniac. God's principles are in place because he knows that for you to get to where he has destined for you to go, you need to learn to say no to some things in your life. And he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. One other thing that makes us blow up our life is fear. Fear. 
Many of us who are aware of the monster that lives inside, the, the vessel of clay that houses this treasure of God. We live in fear we're going to be caught. We live in fear that God's going to expose us. We live in fear that God's going to get even with us. We, we grew up thinking God's this motorcycle cop hiding behind the billboard of life and waiting for us to come speeding by so he can put on his blue lights and pull us over. Fear. People live in fear of the economy, fear of poor health, fear, fear of a relationship failing. There are people that live in so much fear that like Job, the thing they feared comes upon them. Their fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're afraid their husband, their wife's going to leave them. And so they start preparing themselves and drawing back and distancing themselves and protecting their heart. And the poor old guy or woman on the other end of this equation says, what's going on? And they're, they're drawing back from me. They, they're, not, they're not opening up to me. We're not one anymore. And one day the marriage splits and the guy that was afraid says, see, I told you. And doesn't even realize it was fear that brought that relationship to the breaking point. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Listen to what Romans said. To overcome fear, remember whose child you are and remember who your daddy is. The one thing that will help you overcome fear is the same thing that helped you when you were a child. And when you became afraid at night, what did you do? Daddy? And when daddy walked in the room, monsters fled. I want you to know who your daddy is. And in the darkest hour of your life, God is there for you. Romans 8, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I need somebody to say, I don't have to live in fear. Would you do that right now? My father, like my father. My son in ministry, Benny Matthews, says, God is Lord and in charge. Amen. He's your heavenly father. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and there it is again, self-discipline. You don't have to live in fear the rest of your life. In fact, I just feel led of the spirit right now to rebuke fear in this building. I rebuke fear of cancer. I rebuke fear of failure. I rebuke fear of divorce. I rebuke fear of a loss of a job. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus because you're our heavenly father and you are providing for us every step of the way. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not won't. Can somebody give God some praise? Can somebody give God some praise? Fear will make you blow up your own life. Fear will also make life so miserable for you that you don't even want to hardly live. Let me move on. The next thing that will cause your life to self-destruct is despair. Another word for despondency. Despondency continued leads to depression. How do you get free from despair? Look at this. Say it with me. Learn to think long term. Say it again. Learn to think instead of what? 
Those little kids, you see that one little girl? She had her head down behind that marshmallow. Like, Jesus, help me, help me. Oh, oh God, Jesus' name. That other little girl, she didn't pray. She says, while they're talking to her, telling her, baby, if you'll wait, we'll give you another marshmallow. She's already busy eating the one she's got. That's thinking short term. And let me tell you about life. Life in this world is broken. Because we live in a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord, and we are a fallen race. You know what that means? It means what Job said is true, that man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. It means what Jesus said is true, that in the world you shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. The word tribulation there means great pressure. You have great pressure in this fallen world. Now, that is regardless of whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. So I want you to know that just being a Christian does not exempt you from pressure. Here is what God wants you to do. Stop focusing on the short term. Because if you focus on the short term, you're going to have plenty to be discouraged about. But if you look beyond that, remember? Look beyond the fact that you can't have the marshmallow for 15 minutes. There's going to be another marshmallow added to that one. This is what you need to know. The truth is you have survived every problem you've ever had up to now. Oh, somebody ought to be shouting about that. The devil's taken his best hit, and you're still standing. Amen. He did everything he could, but you're still here. I need somebody just to say, I'm still here. I survived it. I took a hit, but I made it through it by the grace of God. I'm still around. He may have knocked me down, but he didn't knock me out. And the reason I kept going when I didn't feel like it is because I wasn't looking at the short term. Romans 8, 17, since we're all his children, we will possess. Say it. We will possess the blessings he keeps for his people. And we will also possess with Christ what God has kept for him. If we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. That will speaks of a future time doesn't mean just an eternity. It means just not right now. 15 minutes from now, you may be getting your second marshmallow. Amen. The Bible wants you to look beyond the present moment. Paul tells us better days are coming. Verse 18, what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. And that's not just talking about the rapture baby. You see me right now, what I'm going through at just this time next year, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, my God, what got a hold of pastor? Amen. You need to be saying that about yourself. When you look long-term, you choose to accept short-term inconvenience for long-term benefit. Give you an example. Many people don't take the time to read their Bible and pray. You know why? In the short-term, it's inconvenient. You've got a schedule. You've got places to go, things to do. But if you're smart you'll be willing to put up with short-term inconvenience to get the long-term benefit of the Word of God. 
Some people don't want to go to church on Sunday. Why? Because I've got other plans, short-term inconvenience. Put those plans on hold. Get as much of the Word of God as you can. Ten years from now, somebody that did come to church is going to be radically transformed, and you're going to be still living in the same old mess you're living in right now. Because they got the Word in their heart, and you didn't. Amen. Be willing to put up with short-term inconvenience. This is also why some people don't tithe. Because they say to themselves, hmm, I need that money right now. Yeah, you do. But which do you need more? That $10 right now? Or the windows of heaven to open over you for the rest of your life? Short-term inconvenience produces long-term benefit. The next thing that will blow apart your life that Paul talks about is resentment, which is unforgiveness. How do you get free from resentment? And every one of us have been wronged. Every one of us. We've been betrayed. There's not a person in this building who hasn't. This is how you get rid of resentment, which is just another form of, as I said, of unforgiveness. Remind yourself that God is good all the time. And he is, say it with me, always. When is God in charge? Help me out. When is God in charge? In bad times, is God in charge? When you lose a job, is God in charge? You get a bad diagnosis, who's in charge? God is in charge. Whenever things are not going well in a relationship, God is in charge. Listen to Paul in Romans. For the creature was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Everything is groaning. And notice what it says. The creation, that's me and you. We were subjected to frustration, not by our own choice, but by God's choice, the will of him who subjects us to it. That almost sounds cruel. God, I, I would choose not to have any frustration. And you chose to let me have frustration? Yeah. Well, explain that because right now it's kind of looking like, God, that's been a pretty sadistic act on your part. No, this is what it means. We would choose to do anything we wanted to do without any negative consequences if we could. Am I right? Come on, you know. Uh, for example, we would choose to do whatever our hearts desired. And we would be gladly to do, glad to do it if there wasn't a price to pay. We want everything to be painless. For example, losing weight. I like the Krispy Kreme diet myself. See what I'm talking about? But the Krispy Kreme diet has consequences. All of life has consequences. And God chose to allow those consequences to remain. He didn't choose for us to be frustrated. He chose to allow consequences to remain. Why? Because if he divorced consequences from decisions, guess what? We would never learn to make intelligent decisions. And so God said, tell you what? When man said, I, God, I'm sorry, I want to do this. God said, okay, I'll get out of your way. Go ahead and go do it. And he chose to let us experience frustration by the bad choices we make. He could have said, no, you're not going to do that. I'm standing in your way. I'm not going to allow you to do that. We would have hated him for it. But he made us capable of arriving at our own choices. And this is what Paul means 
when he talks about the creature was subjected to frustration not by its own choice. We would have gladly opted for a life where we could do anything and everything and never feel any pain for it. But God said life doesn't work that way. And so I'm going to let you feel the pain connected with your bad decisions. And that way you'll learn to make wise ones. Why did he do that? He goes on to say, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. I need somebody in this building to say, I'm getting set free. Would you do that? I'm already saved. Hallelujah. Already sanctified on my way to heaven, but I'm getting free from some things that hold me back. I'm getting set free from some things that have caused me pain in my life. Amen. Amen. How do you get free from resentment? Six things real, real fast. First, you need to understand pain in your life is not optional, but misery is. You're going to have pain, but you don't have to be miserable. Number two, know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I want you to know that rather than God being dispassionate and unconcerned, God is actually, the Holy Spirit is actually praying for you. You not only have God inside of you, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you to be set free from self-destructive behavior. Third, God is working everything in your life that's bad for your good. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. Just like this whole banking thing. Somebody could say, man, some of these folk jacked us around for a year and a half. Yeah, but you know what? God's turning it for our good. I have to believe this is his church, his will, his plan, his future. Hello, somebody. You don't see my name over the front of the church. You know why? I don't have any nail prints in my hands. It's his. And he's going to turn everything negative to our good. I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I feel the Holy Ghost working in this place. And and I want you to understand everything you're going through that you hate right now. God's getting ready. Somebody ought to say it to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. Woo! It's going to work for your good. You hate it right now, but you're going to look back and say, that was one of the best things I ever went through. Fourthly, I want you to understand God wants what's best for you. Verse 30. Moreover, notice this. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Did you see that word predestined? That means before you got here, you were pre-assigned to destiny. <laughs> God cares so much about you. He had the story of your life written before you ever walked into the first chapter. Before they ever handed you to your mama, before a doctor ever spanked your bottom, God had your destiny already written out. God cares for you. God knows who you are. Oh, I wish I had time. Fifthly, you need to resolve this right now. This is how you get over despair. God will provide what you need. Verse 31. 
It says that God didn't spare his own son, but gave him for us. If he gave his son, why would he withhold anything else we need? He already took care of the biggie. Hello? The real big need you had, God said, okay, here it is. Here's my son. If he's going to give you his son, it's, I had a preacher friend of mine. Y'all forgive a, a country colloquialism. I used to preach for him a lot in the state of Mississippi. But he used to say it like this. If you swallow the cat, don't choke on its tail. And if God already swallowed the cat when it came to you and took the big hit for you, don't you think he's taking care of the little stuff? Oh, somebody in the building ought to shout glory. Hallelujah. And number six, God loves you more than you will ever know. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? God loves you. Despair? Are you kidding? I don't have time to, to be depressed. How do you get free from pride? That's the next weapon of self-destruction. I've got to close quickly. Here's how you get free from pride, which is Another form of arrogance. Acknowledge your source. Understand that it is God working in you that makes the vital difference in your life. You know what the devil will whisper to you? You're all of that in a bag of chips. You've got talents others don't have. You've got a great education. You're this, you're that, whatever. Let me tell you, there are people with better degrees than you've got that are not going anywhere in their life. There are people that have more talents than you've got, and they haven't got to where you are. You know how you not this how you keep from developing pride and arrogance? Remember where he brought you from. Acknowledge your source. Had it not been the Lord who was on my side, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. There used to be a member of this church. I, I, this is my day for sharing with y'all things I never talk about. But there used to be a member of this church whose personal assignment, they thought, their personal calling from God was to make sure that I never developed an ego problem. So at every chance they could get, they would always cut me down. And what they didn't realize is ego was not my problem. I needed help to get an ego. <laughs> I was raised in circumstances that if you knew where I come from, you, you, you where's the handkerchief? And it, I, I was raised without any confidence in myself, without any feelings that I had the ability to ever accomplish anything. The church that I was in, there were two people in that church that were young men that were called into ministry. I was one, another young man was the other. The pastor totally ignored me to focus on the other young man. Never opened a door for me because the other young man was the one that was so gifted. Guess what? That young man never did enter into ministry. I've been in ministry 47 years now. Never had anybody open a door. I can tell you that God can do stuff that your relatives can't do and your friends can't do and that I can't do. Hello, somebody? Just make sure that you acknowledge that it was the Lord who did it for you. Amen. 
never forget it was God who brought you out. It was God who made a way. It was God who opened that door. It was God who caused the impossible to happen. I'm preaching to somebody that ought to be on their feet thanking God right now. It was God that healed your cancer. It was God that gave you that job. It was God that opened that door. It was God that caused that relationship to mature and come together. Be seated just a moment. Did you know that pride is one of the seven deadly sins? And did you know that in its numerical order, it's number one? Proverbs 6, 16, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. God hates pride. Romans 8 and 37 tells you how to overcome that. Yet in all these things we are, say it with me, more than conquerors. You see that word? Through. Say through him. Through who? Not through you. Not through your intellect. Not through your ability. God's intellect and his ability are much greater than ours ever will be. But through him you are more than a conqueror. Don't forget to every day of your life give God praise for what he's doing for you. Amen. And finally, number 10, how to be set free from low self-esteem. You need to realize that God loves you and will never stop loving you. Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things, or nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to close by saying it like this. Many of us have spent most of our life looking for relationships to mirror back to us our self-worth. And there are some people that are just incapable of either giving it or seeing it. And some of you have had the opposite of your worth mirrored back to you. Life has a way of making sure that you don't ever discover who you were meant to be if the devil's got any say about it. Amen. But when God says, I love you and I love you so much that nothing can separate you from my love... People will walk away, but God will never walk away. Amen. These days, love is so fickle. Like the boy that was talking to his, his girlfriend. I love you bigger than the sky. I would, I would fly to the moon to see you. I love you wider than the ocean. I would swim the vast Pacific Ocean to be by your side. I love you so much I would brave the burning desert. I would climb the tallest mountain. And if it doesn't rain, I'll see you Saturday. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>